Reformed Church. Just go to Philippians 4.19. Again, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter one tonight, but Philippians 4.19, it just says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I think a lot of people gloss over that, and they don't really understand that on one hand, the verse is about physical wealth, physical possessions. That's what he's talking about. You can read the whole chapter. He was talking to the Philippians about how they, they had supported him financially, um, and he was referring to their gift that they had given to him. And, you know, because blessed are those who bless us, right? That's, that's a principle um, in how God incentivized people to treat you well, um, is that he blesses those when they bless you, right? It's not, it's not a blessing for their work. It's a, it's a blessing on you for your faith, okay? I'm not going to go into all that right now. But because of that, he was telling the Philippians, hey, because, you know, because you've blessed me, my God, you notice he doesn't say your God shall supply all your, all your needs. He says my God shall supply all your needs. That's why he words it that way. But that's not the context I really want to point out to you right now. But he says my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The, the, the thing that he's pointing out here, which is really important for us to understand, which is what I was going over last week, was just the fact that um, he's talking about physical wealth. And it says that God shall supply all your need according to how rich he is in glory. And on top of all the verse that we've already been through in this series, you know, each message I kind of want to go over everything again for anyone that's just joining us, but I'm not able to do that. So you got to listen to the past messages to get the actual proof for this concept. But God has given us the power to get wealth. And as far as the answer of, well, how much wealth is that? Is there an, an immoral amount of wealth? Is there an amount of wealth that somehow gets to a point where it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not proper, uh, that God wouldn't give you that much wealth? Or, like, how does that work, you know? Um, as Christians, if we were to answer many times, we would probably just prefer a middle-class Christian. That's kind of where we're comfortable right now. We know that God doesn't want you to be poor, most people. Um, probably know God doesn't want you to be poor, but we're kind of like, we're like the middle-class Christians, you know, these days. That's kind of where we're at. Not because of any scripture verse. It's just because that's how much probably we have. And we're comfortable with someone having pretty much as much as we have, usually. And you know how you know that? Because you, you know, as being a part of America, as a part of this Western world in general, have much, 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 much more wealth and luxury and convenience than a lot of other countries have. And maybe in those countries, they would look at you and say, well, that's an immoral amount of wealth for, for them to have. In America, they're just rich snobs in America or something like that. You actually even hear, you know, like watching movies and stuff like that uh, from like other countries and them kind of point that out. Like, oh, Americans, like, you know, uh, with, this, with this view of you have more money than I have. And it's just, it's a convenient thing, right? That the immoral amount of wealth is usually just more than you have. And if you increase in wealth, it's like the next level up now is immoral now. Um, the truth is, if there was an immoral threshold of wealth, Solomon for sure would have crossed it. Abraham for sure would have crossed it. Um, Job for sure would have crossed it. Uh, again, Job, as I've mentioned before, he's the richest guy in his entire territory, and then God doubled his wealth. Before, he doubled his wealth. So if there was an immoral threshold, like God's like, hey, you know, I'd, I want you to kind of be sort of around where everybody else is. Um, again, these various men... And I point these men out to you specifically not just because they were wealthy, because there's a lot of people that are wealthy. A lot of people even in the Bible that were wealthy, that weren't made wealthy God's way, that weren't made wealthy by God. But these men are, it's explicitly said, for instance, about Solomon, who is, maybe he was the richest man in the whole Bible. He's the richest king in Israel uh, from what God said. And the Bible specifically says that was of God's doing. 
So it's, it, you know, it's one thing, we can call sort of a th certain threshold of wealth immoral when you just say, oh, you know, that person got that wealth for themselves and they love money, and, but it's a whole other realm when you read about a person that God says, I'm going to make you because you sought wisdom, right? Seek my kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll add all these things to you. Because you sought my wisdom, I'm going to make you wealthier than any king that's ever lived or ever will live after you. See, that's a whole other ballgame now, because now it's God's admission that the wealth that Solomon had was not just this fluke thing that happened to happen to Solomon. God did it. So if there is a wealth threshold that is immoral, Solomon, for sure, crossed it. Obviously, the point is there is not an immoral threshold when it comes to wealth. Um, if you see wealth properly as a tool and not something for you to love and cherish, but if you see wealth as a tool, then more wealth just means to you more of a tool to use. There are more tools to use for things that are proper and for, for purposes uh, that God would have you use it for, whatever that purpose may be and whatever that good work may be. Um, obviously, we know the purpose of wealth is for you and for every good work, for you and to give, for you and whatever God has called you to. Both of those things exist. It's not one or the other. It's for you and every good work. It's not just for you to consume upon yourself, and then nothing, you, like you never use anything for the kingdom of God, and it's not all just to give to somebody else and you not have it for yourself. It's both. Um, if you ever want to have a balanced view of what wealth is for, again, 2 Corinthians 9.8 explains it very clearly. There's other verses, but that's just an easy one where uh, that you'd have all sufficiency in all things and abundance and excess for every good work. That's, that's what the purpose of God is for your wealth. So more wealth ends up, when you perceive wealth from a godly standpoint, if it really is for you and for every good work, then more wealth just means more good works. You're able to, with your excess, uh, um, accomplish more that God wants you to accomplish. Now, obviously, if you don't see wealth that way, if you see wealth as just something to be consumed upon yourself, then more wealth just seems like, well, there are people that need this, and you know, there, there, are, there are things that that money could be going toward, and so you, when you think of wealth as strictly just for you to consume, I guess more wealth just always seems greedy to people because it's just like there's no reason for it. There's no higher purpose for it. But it is for both purposes. And the Bible says that he would the God would supply your need according to how rich he is in glory. So we took like the whole message last time just to describe how rich God's glory and God's power and God's grace is. Um, we, we talked about the scale of that, because the, the, if it really is in proportion to, and I'm not quoting you the Greek definition, I'm quoting you the context of this, um, of this word. The, the, the word according to just means down from, according to. It can be used in different contexts. The context of this verse is he's putting sort of a ratio. And he's saying, God meeting your needs, his ability to meet your needs is in proportion to, obviously you need to believe these things first, but once you believe these things, he's able to meet your needs according to how rich he is in glory. Seeing as it's the glory of God that gets you the wealth, the power of God that gets you the wealth, the grace of God that abounds toward you, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that gets you the wealth, then the, the, you could say the threshold of wealth that God is able to bring you into is in accordance with how rich his glory is. That's the threshold. So if you were looking for a biblical threshold on how wealthy God is able to make you when you're believing him, obviously always in proportion to our knowledge, um, but you look at that verse. That's, where, that's Paul pointing out, because you would even look at Solomon and say, well, maybe Solomon is the threshold, right? How rich Solomon was. But Solomon uh, did not tap into the full riches of God's glory, and therefore did not meet some kind of threshold in wealth either. If you could meet, if you could exhaust the threshold 
of God's glory and how rich his glory is, then you could exhaust the threshold of how rich he's able to make you physically speaking. Again, when you think of wealth as having no purpose whatsoever, but just to kind of consume and, you know, I can just buy more and more expensive stuff, and there's nothing wrong with buying something that is more expensive relative to somebody else as long as it's cheap and affordable to you, okay? We do some silly things with our finances sometimes, so I'm not advocating irresponsibility, but I am just saying that if it's cheap to you, that's fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with buying a more expensive, for instance, car than somebody else as long as it's cheap compared to what you make, right? These are practical things. It is proportional to how you prosper, so there's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, wealth is not for the explicit purpose of just buying more and more expensive things. Then what are we doing here? It's like we're just kind of walking around this earth like the world does, just kind of loving money and consuming it, and, and like we got no hope. We have nothing you know, for the future. There's no gospel that needs to be taught. Um, there's no good work that needs to be done. That's obviously not the point. It's for both. It's for both purposes. It's for you and Forever, in an excess for every good work. And so Paul's just saying here, God is able to meet your need according to how rich he is in glory. That's how much, how, how much physical riches is God able to add. Well, how rich is he in glory? And then if you can answer how rich God is in glory, then you will answer how rich God is able to make you, by faith, able to make you, physically speaking, for a purpose. You know, uh, uh, there's a lot of people that, won't like that. I mean, we understand that in this church, and we've had evidence of that recently, but I mean, there's a lot of people that don't like to hear things like that. Not because it's not in the Bible that God says that he would give you the power to get wealth. That's a verse in the Bible, and God said he would multiply their silver and their gold and their possessions, and he gave them power to get wealth, and it wasn't just some fluke thing. He said, this is to establish my covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a covenant thing, and it's not because the Bible doesn't say the blessing of the Lord makes a man uh, rich and he adds no sorrow to it, and obviously we've been over this before, and the fact that that riches is clearly talking about physical riches, because sorrow typically comes with physical riches when you seek them, according to 1 Timothy. And so he says, God will make you rich, and you just won't add the sorrows to it. That is talking about physical riches, because spiritual riches don't come with sorrow typically. The Bible says physical riches typically come with sorrow. And so when God adds these things to you, he won't add the sorrow with it. It's not that we don't have verses like that, and it's not like we don't have you know, examples of men in the Bible that God said he would make them rich. It's not also that we don't have examples like, again, what I quoted before, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, explaining the fact that God makes his grace abound to you so that they, therefore you can abound in physical wealth for every good work. It's not that we don't have those verses. It's just that it makes us uncomfortable because of tradition. It makes us uncomfortable because we just personally don't like it. But here's the thing, too. Um, when it comes to wealth, wealth is nothing to brag about and wealth is nothing to show off about. It's a, it's a corruptible thing in and of itself. It couldn't redeem you. It couldn't save you. And if you were wealthy without Jesus, you'd be really as poor as the next guy. So there's nothing to brag about or nothing to flaunt, nothing to show off, okay? At the same time, though, it is not something, when you're talking about these things that Jesus bled and died to give you, there's nothing to shy away from, though, and to be ashamed of. And you know what? There is a tendency that the more taboo a topic is amongst the church, the more ashamed we can be prone to feel if we're listening to them and we're not listening to the Lord. Even through this entire series, I have to constantly acknowledge the Lord, and constantly make sure that, you know, there are certain things that I won't say just to, you know, for the, for the sake of, uh, like, you sort of need to be strategic in the way that you present things so as to not give the naysayer sort of ammunition against the gospel. So you, you strategize, right, in the way that you say things, and the Holy Spirit gives you that discernment. At the same time, though, uh, it, at the same, it, it's not something to brag about as far as the wealth itself, but it's also, not, you cannot be ashamed of the gospel, though. And again, the more taboo a topic is, 
in your particular community, in your particular group, the more, uh, if you listen to them, and if you look at them rather than keeping your eyes on Jesus, the more ashamed of that gospel you're going to end up being. So it's so important to know, keep your eyes on Jesus, understand that he approves of whatever it is that he's shown you, and speak it boldly and without fear of any repercussions from man, because what can man do to you? That, that ultimately, you have to have that, that sort of firmness in your mind to say, you know what? I will speak this tactfully, and I will speak this in love to people, but I'm not going to not say it. I'm going to say this because it's something Jesus bled and died to give us. And on, on top of that, the, 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 the fruit that we could be seeing in our life that I would then cheat you of for not saying it, it's not worth it. God provided these things to us for a reason. And just because somebody over here says it's taboo or someone over here lumps you together with a whole bunch of other preachers that are teaching the wrong thing, you need to persist in saying things that are true, things that Jesus provided, Again, go ahead and use tact in the way you say it. Go ahead and make sure that you say it the right way and speak it in love to people. At the same time, you need to say it. Things need to be said. And God is able to make you physically wealthy in proportion to how wealthy is in glory. So you don't have to ask, how wealthy can God make you or how wealthy is proper? The question is not that. The question is, how rich is he in glory? It's how rich he is in glory that is getting me physical wealth in this world for the purposes that we've named in the past. That's, that is the case. And obviously the conclusion from last week that you end up coming to is that there is no limit. The Bible says it just, it just multiplies. The grace of God just multiplies as people believe it. That's how it works. Through the knowledge of Jesus, the grace and peace of God on the inside of you, the life and peace of God, the bread and the loaves, you could say, right? Just keep multiplying, 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 multiplying. And you may say, well, even the bread and the loaves, in feeding the 5,000, they did stop multiplying at some point. But you see, grace and peace doesn't start, stop multiplying, except that it comes to the end of your knowledge. Jesus was teaching those people. It's, it's symbolic, right? Jesus taught the 5,000. He taught them many things. He was teaching them things concerning himself. And it's according to our knowledge that the bread and the loaves, quote, unquote, the grace and peace, the life and peace of God are, is multiplied to us, but... It doesn't stop until it gets to the end of your knowledge. And you keep growing your knowledge, and you're going to keep, be, keep being transferred from glory to glory. That grace is going to be, continue to multiply. And if we're believing the correct things, that's going to multiply your physical possessions as well. That is the way that it works. And again, uh, we can't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Teach it correctly. Be understanding of where, what people have heard before. But I'm not going to be so understanding of where someone's been before that I'm sort of like agreeing somehow with what they've heard before. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus to make sure we're, we're, we're staying unashamed of the gospel and not, not uh, considering what someone else may think about it. That is how wealthy God is able to make you according to how rich he is in glory. That's what that verse is saying. That is the correct interpretation of that verse. That's, that is how rich God can make you uh, in physical wealth. Um, real quick, because I've read this to you in the past, 2 Corinthians 9.8, 2 Corinthians 9.8, uh, I read this to you in the past, but I just want to show you sort of uh, from a, a, a Greek word standpoint, something that I haven't necessarily pointed out in the past. Um, it says, God is able to make all grace abound. Uh, that word abound, uh, we know, I've been telling you, it means excessive, super excessive, abundant. But it's the word parisio, if I'm probably butchering that, but parisio, we'll say for now, that word abound there, parisio. And it says, so God is able to make all grace parisio, abound to you, which is talking about the manifestation of God's grace, right? It's multiplied to you. It, it increases. Uh, it doesn't subtract from what's on the inside of you, but keeps increasing. 
getting bigger, right? That, and it, it's, you know, it may sound strange to you at first, but that's what the Bible says about the grace of God, the nature of God's power. It is limitless. It can just keep going and going and going. It's better than the Energizer Bunny. It's just that, that's how the grace of God works. And he says, he's able to make all grace abound, parisio, toward you, so that, so that, uh, or that ye, in King James, here's the result of God's grace abounding to you. God's life and peace abounding through you, manifesting, multiplying through you. As that increases, the manifestation of the grace of God increases through you, that ye, in other words, here are the results, we're going to read the results right now, uh, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, uh, that you would be full financially. You say, well, what is full financially? It's probably relative to what you make, to be quite honest with you. I'm not going to say a whole lot about that. It's probably relative to what you make. What is being full financially? If you're making $30,000 a year, you being full financially for right now at least, has going to have to, the threshold's going to have to be a lot lower. If you're making $2 million a year, then being full financially is probably a lot higher. And I'm sure that is relative. But regardless, that means that you would have full satisfaction for all of your needs, for yourself. That's what that is. Again, we cannot like that, but you know, uh, I, I, I think sometimes when we, when we, when we see somebody, you know, for instance, you, know, you could have, we, we've talked about different guys you know, that you know, are probably not believers even, but wealthy people even in America today, if someone pulls up in like a $100,000 car, we just think, oh, that's automatically immoral. Well, you know what? If you're making $5 million a year, that's nothing. Do the math for yourself. The percentage of what a $100,000 car, and I'm not advising anyone to go out and buy a $100,000 car. I'm just saying frugal is relative. You see someone, and you automatically, oh, that's immoral. That's immoral. Well, he needs a car, right? People need a car. You have a car. So he bought a $100,000 car. Oh, that's automatically immoral. And just so you know, this is important to mention. That's an automatic immoral thing. You do the math on how much your car is relative to your yearly income, and then do the math on what $100,000 is compared to someone who makes $5 million a year. You do the math and see who's being more frugal. You see, it's, if you have more than me, it's immoral. Ultimately, that's the threshold in our mind. I, you know, if I'm middle class, if I'm lower class, everybody richer than me is wrong. And if you became middle class, oh, it's the upper class that's wrong. And if someone gave you a raise, because you know you probably wouldn't turn down a raise for the exact same job you're doing right now, and said, we just want to give you a raise, we're going to start pay paying you a million dollars a year. All of a sudden, everyone richer than you would be immoral. That's the way it is. We don't want to admit that, but that is deep in the human heart, typically the way you hear things. Not too many people are saying that the amount of wealth they currently have is, is the immoral threshold of wealth. That's the way that it works. You should be frugal with your money. If you wanted to read Psalm 112, Part of the power to get wealth, which we may talk about a little further in the future, is that, that you, you handle your affairs with discretion. There is a wisdom and a discretion that God will give you to make your money go further. I believe, I mean, we've had this church for a long time, church for a long time, and we have heard countless people tell us that they need money. And I'm telling you what, some, some of those people, I remember even back when cell phones were kind of a newer thing, and we, I need money, and boom, it's like, and, I mean, everybody has a cell phone now. But back then, it was like, you know, kind of a rare thing. And they pull out their new cell phone. Oh, I need money. You know what that is? That is lack of money management. That's lack of wisdom. And part of the power to wealth that God will give you, because Christ is to us power and wisdom, is that you handle your affairs with discretion. Because you could have this much, and you're living like you're living on this much. But because if you will organize your finances in a godly way, you can make them go way further. And that is not, just so you know, sort of a moot point or something that goes without saying. That is a, literally a part of power to wealth that God provided you, that you handle your affairs with discretion. That doesn't go without saying. That's not a little fly-by point that you just kind of brush to the side. No, that is a point that, just like Joseph, 
You know what Joseph did? He took the money that he had in Egypt, and he managed it properly and prospered in famine. That was due to wisdom. That wasn't even due to extra wealth. Because we always think our problem is just, I need more money. I guarantee you that we have all room to improve when it comes to money management to make our money go further, just like Joseph. He took in a year of prosperity and saved and then prospered in famine because of discretion that God gave him. So that's what I'm saying, that it is, it is something that is uh, a part of the power to get wealth, that God gives us discretion on how to handle our finances. And part of that is obviously living below your means, but it is just funny, right? That, you know, let me, let me just show you this chart that, that, I, that I, uh, I drew up. And before I show you this chart, listen, I'm not telling you to spend what I wrote on here. I'm just trying to show you proportionally, okay? So everyone in agreement? I am not advocating spend what I wrote on here. I'm just saying proportionally, when you see somebody with something, you realize what, what frugal really is. It, it, and it's just kind of funny. Knowing that wealth is for us and for every good work, right? That we have an excess for every good work. I did a little bit of research. If, if these numbers are not 100% correct, it's fine. It's an example. The, the, the point stands and the point is true, okay? So we looked up a little, I just did a little research on, uh, Ms. Kim helped me too, on um, like average median household income and all that. It's not important. That, that's not really my point right now. But I just took like a $70,000 a year income, right? And you know, in America, and this, I, I'm getting to a biblical point here, okay? In America, I've read, and if this is not exactly correct, again, the point still stands, that typically Americans spend over 75% of their yearly income just on their living expenses, right? Seeing as we have all sufficiency in all things and then our excess is for every good work, that leaves you with like a 25% wiggle room for every good work. And actually, by the way, this number, I was forgetting, that's actually not true. Um, I just remembered. Um, so that's what that's for. And the funny thing is, look, I just want to show you in a graph, right? When, when we think about, oh, a certain amount of money is immoral. That, that is immoral, or that's not frugal, right? Or that's not economic to spend money that way. I'm not advocating spending money, as I wrote here. A $25,000 car, you would say, well, that's, it's a normal, you know, $25,000 for a car is not like something crazy, right? I'm not saying even everybody should be buying a $25,000 car. It's just, that's not a crazy thing to hear about, right? $25,000 car is 35% of that yearly income, which is a normal, $70,000 is like between an average and median household income in America, right? Somewhere's in between there. 35% uh, would just be one car. If you have one car, that's 35% of what you make in a year. And the median house price that I read in 2020 was $329,000. I lowered that just to be generous and did $250,000 for a house. This graph compared to $70,000 a year, that is over, well over. That's three and a half times what someone would make uh, making $70,000 a year, which is, again, somewhere around the middle of the data for how much people make in America today. And yet, if someone had a $250,000 house, you would think, that's not being, you know, uh, you know, that's not overspending. You buy a house, okay, you save up, whatever, you put a down payment on it. You'll even say, even if they went into debt, well, well that's, you know, it's, it's a sort of a normal price. And the funny thing is, I just put here a million dollars. Someone makes a million dollars a year, right? Not trying to limit you to, in any such way, right? Not trying to limit you because it's riches of his glory, right? So neither of these two things should we be relating to. We should just relate to the riches of his glory. Someone makes a million dollars, right? 
as I just said before, someone pulls up in a $100,000 car, and you know what? Again, I'm not, we, we sh not going to make any points about that. $100,000 car, you'd say, oh, that's immoral. Your sort of antennas go up because it's more than you have. I'm sure there's probably a little jealousy mixed in there. There's probably a little envy mixed in there, maybe a little coveting mixed in there, and therefore, instead of saying that's what it is, we say, oh, no, that's immoral. That's an immoral amount to spend on a car, right? It could be immoral, depending on how much you make. But the funny thing is, if you buy a $25,000 car and make $70,000 a year, that's 35% of your yearly income that you spent on you. Now, you didn't have to buy a $25,000 car. You could have bought a $10,000 car, but you spent $35,000, 35% of your income on a car for ourselves, and we would say, well, that's, that's not immoral because it's, what, it's, it's, it's equal to us. So it's not immoral to do that because we probably have a $25,000 car. But when someone pulls up in a $100,000 car, it's immoral, despite the fact that that is 10% of their yearly income if they're making a million. They are more frugal than you are, and yet that would be immoral to us. Because here's what it is. We compare ourselves amongst ourselves. That is what it is. Think about, think about this for a second, how you got saved. When you got saved, we should not have done this, right? And said, Lord, somehow I am moral before you, and I am deserving of being saved because I haven't done what that guy did, right? Because if you just compare yourself amongst yourself, you, you'll, you'll think you're perhaps better than somebody else, and you'll create an incorrect standard, thinking that I'm right and that's wrong just because I'm better than so-and-so. And then someone next to you could say, well, I didn't do what you did. But you have to see things from God's perspective, not just looking amongst yourself and creating standards of right and wrong based on whether you did better than somebody else or they did better than you. Let's find out what God says about what is godly and what is not godly. Again, the Bible says that you just need to handle your affairs with discretion. There is not an immoral threshold of money that somehow when you hit that threshold, that is immoral. God wants you to be frugal and handle your affairs with discretion, Psalms 112. Furthermore, um, there is a verse which I, will, I read to you, or started reading, I'm not sure if it made the message, made the cut last time, but 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, upon the first day of the week, this is Paul talking about how much they should give, how much they should spend on giving. All right, that's what he's talking to the Corinthians about here. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So you see, this is Paul telling them what would be appropriate for them to give. And what he said, he wasn't able to put a number on it. Why was Paul not able to put a number on what they should give? Because he said, it is as God has prospered him. You could, for instance, like in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there were people that gave to the saints so much that it threw them into poverty. Paul said, that's not as we hoped. We did not hope that they would give that way. They gave into their poverty. So that would be an unwise use of your money. And you know what? Again, if there was some kind of desperate time, desperate measure situation, I would do the same thing if I had to, if it meant someone's security or someone's safety or something like that. But Paul, it said in that particular scenario, that was not wise to do. That's what he said. He said it wasn't as we hoped. We, we didn't expect that from them. Now, for someone else to give that same amount maybe is completely wise and completely moral to do so. But Paul says it's as God has prospered him. And you can see here, someone that makes that kind of, that's in this scenario, look at this too, and I'll move this just so that everybody can see this. Someone that's in this scenario, okay, I've just picked a number, right? A million dollars a year. 
I'm not saying they have to buy a $100,000 car, but even if they did, that's more frugal than many of us in this room right now. They spent 10% of their income, and if you took the 75, think about this for a second. This is a biblical principle. If you took the, the, the 75% living wage of $70,000, that's $52,500 that got spent just on you. And I'm not saying that maybe it didn't have to be spent on you, right? Uh, I understand that proportionally, the living wage thing, it, you know, things get cramped when you make less money. I understand that. But I, this is why I wanted to show you just the proportions. This is why I made this yearly income and this yearly income the exact same size. I understand that 1 million is much bigger than 70,000. But I'm trying to show you the proportions. If you split this down the middle, proportionally how big it is to, to the amount of money that you have. Seeing as wise or unwise, even when it comes to giving, Paul says this, as you prosper. I can't put a number on it. As to what is frugal? What is frugal to God? Well, that depends on how much you make. It's a complete relative number. It just depends. Is, make, is spending 10% of your income more frugal proportionally than 35% of your income? Yes, it is. You see, if someone has more money, even there, and, and actually, look at this too. The living expenses, what I did was, I just basically quadrupled these numbers just to, just, just to show you. And I'm not saying you'd have to spend quadruple, but just to show you this, 75% of 70,000 is $52,500 that would be spent if that statistic is true, which seems about right. 75% is just living expenses plus anything else we spend. If I take that and even quadruple that, four times as much for living expenses for someone that makes a million dollars, they're still only spending 21% of their income. They are more frugal than this person is. Now, I understand. You say, well, this person has to spend that much. That's fine. But proportionally, seeing as that's how God sees things, he sees it proportional. That's because as much as we can despise the person that makes a million dollars a year, we can look at them and say, you know what, that's, uh, you know, whatever. A lot of it is probably covetousness or envy or, or anything like that. And we want to talk about them. Uh, look at this. This is your Good Works Wiggle Room. That purple there. And just so you know, that 25% is generous. Because this is just living expenses. The thing that you never spend anything except for living expenses would be totally silly. A $70,000 income, maybe you got 10% good works wiggle room. What, would you rather, what position would you rather be in? I'm not saying we should relate to either of these figures. I relate to the figure of how rich his glory is. Would you rather have your little 10% wiggle room? Or this person over here is, uh, I wrote 80, but it's actually 79% wiggle room that they have. Because you make more, your living expenses don't have to go up proportionally. You understand what I'm saying? Your ex is for every good work. Like, what, what, what position would we rather be in? Would you rather have basically nothing to give or to, to, to put toward the things that need money for the kingdom of God, or would you rather have the 80, basically 80% of your finances or more of wiggle room to do every good work? Do, do you see how we're, we're totally, um, we are, uh, I was going to use the word neutering, but maybe not. let's not use that word in church, even though I already did. We're, we're totally uh, undercutting ourselves as to what can be accomplished in this world because I don't like that prosperity stuff, despite the fact that the Bible talks about this. Spending, as far as the immorality of spending or the immorality of, uh, of, uh, of the amount of wealth, uh, we, we have a, a wrong idea of that. Again, even in, in the church, again, we're comfortable 
if someone makes the same, way, same amount we make, maybe a little bit more. We have a little bit of forgiveness there. But that's not a right way to, and the reason why I'm going over all this to you is because as long as you kind of buy this thing that like even in, in movies today, poor guy good, rich guy bad, poor guy's not doing a whole lot for the kingdom with his finances. That's just the case. Now again, I have told you guys in the past that the only way that you limit God is by unbelief. Okay, that's true. If you just believe, floodgates are open for the Holy Spirit to manifest through you. But just strictly speaking financially, poor guy, rich guy, this all depends on what you actually want to accomplish with your money. If you're content just saying, I just want my needs met, well, then by all means, just make exactly what you need and don't do anything for anybody else or for the gospel or don't push the, this message forward at all. I'm, talk, I'm not talking about specifically at, at this church. I'm talking about worldwide, the message of the gospel. Don't push that message forth at all. If, if you just want it, you and your four, you have that choice. You could do that. If you see the money the way that God sees it, that it can be used as a tool to provide fuel for the gospel and for every good work, then like, you know, in my mind, that's why I made this chart. Um, again, I'm, I even put like house, like a million, you know, just to show you the proportions. Because we, I was trying to think of a figure that we might think was, oh, that's immoral, spend a million dollars on a house. Meanwhile, he just spent a you know, hundred times, uh, excuse me, a hundred times, a hundred percent what he makes in a year versus this person spending 357% of what they make in a year, and somehow, somehow this is immoral, and that's, that's moral. I, I, I'm not, you know, I just proportionally don't see that, because that's how God sees things as far as whether they're wise or not, is proportionally. So I'm not, I'm not with you on that one. <laughs> if you want to be proportional, then you'd get a $70,000 house. I just, but anyway, that aside, um, we, we do undercut ourselves as far as our efficacy in this world, because, um, and I want to point, point this out to you, because maybe next week, I'm not sure, we may go over um, certain verses even in the Bible that talk about poverty. Because you, you read about poverty in the Bible, and God speaks very fondly of it. Okay? Now, hear me out. Very fondly of it. The Bible even talks about how Jesus only came to preach to the poor. And, you know, and how blessed the poor are, uh, if, you, if you read in the Gospels and stuff. And so, there is this, this, this sort of stereotype that poor is kind of like more humble or, or better or more moral in some way. And being wealthy is somehow either one, being more greedy, despite the fact that proportionally <laughs> that enables you to spend less over here and have more for every good work. So there's that stereotype. And then you have these verses in the Bible that talk about the poor. And it's like it creates this thing if you misinterpret Scripture that, because just so you know, what we're going to talk about is obviously that poverty is obviously not talking about financial poverty, that Jesus somehow in Isaiah 60 you know, only came, or Isaiah 61, only came to preach to those who are poor financially. We'll go over that maybe next week or week after. But there is this immorality badge that goes along with being wealthy, and as long as you kind of see things the way the world sees it, uh, instead of, watch this, instead of allowing God to make you wealthy and end up hastening the coming of Christ, because you can accomplish more with your finances now, instead of doing that, we will allow the devil to, uh, to tag wealth with the immorality badge, which makes us shy about that, ashamed of that, or not willing to receive it ourselves. And then the deception of the devil, because we willfully accept that, keeps the church in, a, in an ineffective financial position that now everybody that's wealthy and fueling all of these different causes are everybody that's not the church. You see like this... You have to be, I heard someone say this a while ago, and you know what? I didn't like it at first, but 
I understand this though. As long as you're teaching wealth correctly, um, and, I, and I mean that, teaching wealth correctly, teaching things and being responsible and all that along with it, but teaching wealth correctly from a godly, Christ-centered perspective on how Jesus empowers us to get wealth and the purposes for that wealth, as long as you're doing that correctly, God wants someone who is willing to take the flack and persecution for teaching things like this. He needs somebody to do this because, again, I, I can stand up here and I can say these things, or pastors, they can get up here on a Sunday, and we could mention power to wealth to you, but, but the thing is, if we are not willing to preach to people any given aspect of what Jesus did, the Bible calls that cheating them. We're spoiling them. We're cheating them of important fruit that Jesus bled and died to give us. And we have, to, we, have to, we have to love the praise of God more than the praise of people because you would think certain things would win you brownie points with people. This message series doesn't win this church or me any brownie points with anybody unless someone's willing to hear the gospel, obviously. But I'm saying with the world, this doesn't win you brownie points. If you want to you know, do any kind of a, you know, somersaults and backflips and jumping through hoops with a message series, this is one that you're like, you know what? People, and all I mean by that is strategy and how you say it, not holding back information. But man, people, like the clarifications and context that you have to put on some of these things because people don't like to hear this many times, despite the fact that it's something that Jesus came to bring us. And we need to love the praise of God more than the praise of men. So um, anyway, as far as what, what frugal means to God, as far as what wise means to God, again, it's proportional to how you prosper. Um, and God does want you to, to prosper. Let me, let me kind of throw this out of the frame real quick. If uh, <laughs> the wheel on here is a... Uh... All right, so I'm going to have to wrap up right here. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to share a few of those things with you. And let me see if I can close with just one more thing. Yeah, okay. I'll probably have to save this for probably have to save this for for, uh, for next week. Um, but anyhow, it is super important that the very thing that God has provided to you, the power to, that you don't end up allowing people to tag that is immoral in your mind. Because again, that is going to hinder you receiving from God. That's going to hinder you receiving from God. And as I said before, I, I never really agree with that very much. The concept of that God wants someone who's willing to take the persecution, and obviously by that I mean the ridicule and the flack for, um, for teaching on things like this. But, uh, but it really is true. It really is true. Uh, Pastor Zay was talking before service about how, you know, loving somebody is different than we think it is sometimes. And sometimes loving somebody is even telling somebody something that they don't want to hear. And sometimes loving somebody um, is speaking the truth about something even when they don't like it, and they're not receiving it. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I hope that God continues to give this church the boldness and the, uh, the confidence to be able to speak the truth, speak it plainly, speak it in love, but say the truth, though, to, to not uh, shy away from that, because um, we are stealing fruitfulness from the church, stealing from them, by just kind of like watering it down, rounding the corners off a little, um, and not speaking the truth as it is uh, written in Scripture. So um, let me just real quick open this up for, for any questions uh, that you may have, or if anyone thinks that I maybe perhaps missed something even as I was talking about anything, um, I just want to open up the questions. And if there's not, that, that's totally fine. I just want to make sure that everything that was said was, was perfectly clear, and, uh, or if there's a comment.
Yeah, so, so the question was just, yeah, sorry, I, 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 I'm assuming that you guys can read it and that I wrote so, so tiny. Um, this big bar over here is a $250,000 house compared to a $70,000 income, which we would say is perfectly moral, but in other words, why is it moral? That's the question, why is it moral? Where are you getting this data? It's like, it's like in politics today, right, when people say, you know, oh, you know, doing this or, you know, I'm not going to name all the stuff, but, you know, you know oh, uh, transgenderism or this or doing this on your kids is like, that, that's a moral thing. Well, it's like, you got to have some footnotes for your morality. Why is it moral? I'm willing to entertain any footnotes. And seeing as God came up with morality, your footnote should be re referencing him in some way. Just tell me why it's moral. The truth is, our morality these days is just whatever's going around. And our morality when it comes to finance is whoever has as much money as I do. It's okay if I have a little bit more money than somebody else, but it's not okay if someone has a little bit more money than I do, or a lot more money, whatever it is. Morality when it comes to finances is usually however I'm handling my finances or whatever I get paid. And man, you know, again, will that chart get you flack? Sure it will. But you know what though? And again, none of this side of things was a, a recommendation. What I did here was I quadrupled the amount of this house and I quadrupled the amount of this car. I just times it by four, just to show you that even quadruple is still an immense amount less proportionally when somebody makes more money, and that we have to see things proportionally and see things from a godly standpoint and not just tag wealth as immoral, because again, that's gonna cheat you out of what God wants to do in your life. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I refuse to do that. I will not allow myself to be cheated because someone doesn't like a particular truth that the Lord's telling me. You gotta, you gotta, be, you gotta be in that boat. You gotta be in that boat. So anyway, that, that, that's kind of the green is house, red is car, and the purple is the good works wiggle room that you have. <laughs> I'd rather have more good works wiggle room. There's a purpose for me on this earth, and I'm certainly not gonna allow Joe Schmo over here telling me that what God says in scripture as far as what is moral, as far as what to spend, and uh, I'm not gonna allow somebody to, to say that something that God is doing in my life or somebody else's life is immoral just because what? They woke up on the side, one side of the bed and just decided to think that a certain money amount is immoral. You know what? And, and you guys are all dismissed if you have to go. It's, I'm, I'm well over right now. I do want to read you this, though, because that, that was the other verse I, when I was looking for before. Um, and it's just, um, oh, man, what is it? Okay, it is uh, Solomon. That's, that's what I wanted to show you about what Solomon did. When God made him wealthier than any king that has ever lived, Solomon, I just give you the, the he made silver uh, um, and gold, actually, as in Jerusalem, as plenteous as stones. That's 2 Chronicles 1, 15. So Solomon was well over this 1 million mark, right? Very, very, very wealthy guy. When gold and silver is, is like rocks in Jerusalem, that's, that's, that's pretty wealthy, right? And I'm still not telling you and limiting you to that either. You have far more than that. You have far more than that. The riches of God's glory are far more than that. But I do want to show you, though, Brother if you can throw this up there real quick, 1 Kings 7-9, just to explain this to you. Solomon, you want to talk about immoral purchases, right? Okay, Solomon made his own house, not the temple, but his own house, from floor to ceiling out of marble, all right? Is that immoral? Again, we have to ask ourselves these questions because as long as it, we have that tinge of immorality in our head, because somebody, somebody told us we're going to cheat ourselves of what the Lord is trying to do here, Okay which is hasten his coming and provide for every good work and for us as well. He made his own house out of marble. You walk into, listen, if you walk into some Christian's house and they have a house made out of marble, I cannot find 
in my brain uh, the, the capacity to believe that somebody at some point in time is not going to walk in and say, that's immoral. That's what he did with his house. But you know what, though? When silver and gold is plenty of stones, proportional to how you prosper, how much do you think that really was in the graph? If I put Solomon's yearly income here, I bet you wouldn't even see it on the graph. You probably wouldn't even see it. You probably wouldn't even see all that marble that he spent. That little, that, the, 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 uh, the green here would probably be a blip on it. So who's more frugal? Who's more frugal? God says it's wise proportional to how you prosper. That's how he advised us to even give. So with all that said, I just want to um, kind of, my point here is to break down those things, okay? Break down those castles, walls, fortifications that prohibit you in your mind from actually seeing, oh, Jesus, that's what you, pro that's what you provided me. If those things are not broken down, you will not enter the land. You got to break down walls in Jericho to enter the land. You got to break down fortifications and defeat sort of the sayings of giants before you enter the land. And if one of those walls in your head is like, that's immoral though. Well, you know what? You're not going to enter the land. It's going to prohibit you. It's an imagination that is contrary to what God actually says in Scripture about what Jesus provided you. How much is a moral amount of wealth? As rich as his glory is. So you go ahead and do the math on that. As rich as God's glory is, that's what's moral. That is the will of God for you specifically as a believer. Every single believer. If you want proof for all that, listen to the series behind. I'm not giving a whole lot of, of that proof tonight. But uh, that's where God has your trajectory. Okay? As rich as his glory is. And so uh, in this particular verse, just so you know, when he says about costly stones, uh, actually it says, um, I think it, yeah, I think it's that word costly stones. Um, I believe, yeah, people, um, like if you read commentaries and stuff on it, people uh, believe that that was uh, a stone called porphyry or, or marble that he made his whole house out of. Anyway, you guys get the point hopefully on that. Any other questions that I can uh, address or answer on that? Um, proportional to how you prosper, right? That's why God um, made Solomon wealthy and you think God had a problem with him making a marble house? Again, I'm sure that marble house is probably more frugal than what we've spent on our houses. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reformed Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this unpopular message to the world. If you'd like to support Reformed Church, you can do so at reforminus.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reforminus.com.